Long, windy walks from the weather, not the other kind. Pumpkin lattes, I know, I'm an absolute sucker for a seasonal trend. And epic facials that leave you slapped and fresh. There are a million things I am thankful for today, but what is my guest thankful for? I dodged, I mean, we can call them bullets. I did not have children with some of my greatest enemies that I dated. It could have gone another way with someone else. Oh Lord. I'm Angela Scanlon and welcome to Thanks A Million, where we explore our guests' personal gratitude lists to find out the things that have shaped their lives. Now, before I get into my final guest of the series, I know it has absolutely flown by. I want to let you know about a little business that I have been doing I've been building it. I've been doing the hustle. I've been creating on the side. It is a buildable, customizable jewellery brand that is very, very close to my heart and I've been working on for a couple of years. It is called Freckle, spelled F-R-K-L. And I would love to know what you think. You can follow it on Instagram at myfreckle or online, myfreckle.com. Charms, bracelets, necklace. If you like how I, you know, adorn myself like Mr. T, that's a reference for anyone above millennial age. Google it if you don't know. It's actually a thing, apparently. If you're into that sort of layered golden thing, then have a look. I'd love to hear what you think. We are going out with a bang today. And side note, remember, if you want to be the first to know about when we are back for the new series, make sure that you hit subscribe right now. So that will ding into your little inbox when the time is right. Catherine Ryan is my final guest for series four. A comedy queen, a Canadian goddess, an actress, writer, presenter and now author. Catherine has been on the comedy circuit for some time now, appearing on all of the panel shows. She's actually got a relentless work ethic. She is prolific and omnipresent. She's done eight out of ten cats obviously mock the week qi you name it i mean she's literally done everything last year she wrote and starred in her own netflix comedy series called the duchess and having accepted that being audacious is her gift one of many to be fair she has just released her debut book called the audacity and i've absolutely loved reading it it's hilarious and full of frank advice and also quite tender which you know knowing catherine a little bit wasn't surprising to me but in contrast maybe to her on-screen persona may take some people back. Catherine has a daughter called Violet and has just become a mum to her second child Fred with her husband Bobby, her childhood sweetheart. More on that later. You may have seen her heavily pregnant presenting ITV2's Ready to Mingle recently, working to the bitter end. She's an absolute goddess and a hero. Coming up, Catherine Ryan. But before that, let's hear what you guys are thankful for this week. A beautiful one here from Laura Kraberts. Today, my thanks a million trio. I'm alive, my beautiful family and the NHS. This one from Georgie LA. That I had some veg in the freezer to eat for lunch and didn't need to go to the shop. Win. You don't want a hairy carrot. Two, the interesting conversations I've been having for well, well, wellness. Three, taking a break from social media and charging my phone in the kitchen overnight. Total game changer in terms of not starting the day half asleep and wondering why I don't look as good as X in a sports bra. Love that. Also, 100% leaving your phone in the kitchen, at least outside your bedroom. This one's from And Crystals, who you should definitely follow if you're into 
crystally things. So thankful for this quality time I get to spend with my son. So thankful for the sun on my face today and to be out in nature hugging the trees and talking to the birds. And thankful for my husband's banana fritters and a hot coffee. Nice. I'm salivating. Okay, let's get into the chat with Catherine Ryan. Here we cover parenthood, also growing up being a working single mum in your 20s, Kourtney Kardashian and J-Lo, celebrating your oddities. I love this episode and I hope you do too. Here she is, it's Catherine Ryan. So TV's Catherine Ryan, good morning. It's me. Thank you for having me on your wonderful podcast for models. Thank you for being here. Um, Your skin is delicious. It is, and so is yours. Do you feel threatened? Because we kind of have the same glowing complexion. But don't worry, because I have short, fat legs, so I'll never get your brand (laughs) partnerships. (laughs) Shut up. I've been reading your book. Really? I love it. I love the cover. I love the honesty. It's tender in a way that I think people will be somewhat or might be somewhat surprised by, you know, because I think your, you know, TV's Catherine Ryan has a slightly different persona to the reality. Well, yeah, that's why I say TV's Catherine Ryan, because it's a bit of like a Sasha Fierce TV's okay. Catherine Ryan has to be one way. I don't feel like um, audiences who want to go to see stand-up really want a podcast experience. So I'm softer, for example, on my podcast and in my real life. But when I do stand-up, why would I, you know, I, I don't come across like that. I have to be very absolute, caustic, spiky. I need punchlines. I feel like that's what stand-up comedy is. And for Mm -hmm. people to watch that and think that you behave exactly that way all the time is a bit wild to me. I behave like this all the time in a Tupac oversized t-shirt and no makeup. (laughs) And then the book is more me. You're right. So thank you for seeing that. Yeah, no, it's lovely. And your, you know, experiences of growing up and your mom who looks like a Barbie, which Mm. must have as a teenage girl felt... um, Felt quite wild. I mean, I had a mom who was in a tracksuit a lot of the time and that brought its own kind of things. And so when I was reading about your mom, like trying on your jeans and, oh, I've really big boobs, but, you know, a smaller waist. How funny, Catherine, at 15. That's like, it's quite a punchy thing to say to your daughter, isn't it? That was one of the worst ones. 15 was not a good time for me. For anyone. For anyone, for anyone. But for me... My boyfriend was 31. He was the prom security guard who I started dating to get back at my boyfriend for splitting up with me. My boyfriend's now my husband, but it's a long old story. So, you know, it wasn't... It worked. It worked. Yeah, it worked. (laughs) Ha ha. Jealous. 20 years later. But um, my mother started dating a 20... How old was he at the time? 22, 21-year-old guy from my town. And in a small town, everyone's famous. So she very quickly became, you know, the Madonna Demi Moore, um, very progressive cougar of the town mm-hmm. because older women weren't dating younger men back then and, you know, being congratulated They were supposed for to be it. invisible. Right. Yeah. And she was going through a divorce, so she became really stressed. And I describe her like a white-knuckled Ariana Grande because she just shrunk to like this little, not just shrunk like, I'm thin now, but just all of a sudden looked like an actual Barbie doll. Because my mother's very beautiful. And then she tried on my trousers and she said, isn't it funny, Catherine? 
your shirts are too small for me, but your trousers are too big. And I thought, yeah, that is funny. <laughs> it's hilarious, mom. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and so you also talk quite explicitly, and I know this is not new because I feel like I've seen it in your shows and, you know, in TV's Catherine Ryan yeah. chat um, about the kind of desperation maybe feels too strong a word, but like absolute certainty that you needed to get out of Sarnia. There was no question that you were gone. You can call it desperation. That's fine. Okay. I don't know what type of Irish town you're from. A metropolis, a village? a village yeah so some of us and i don't disparage these people or look down on them i don't think i'm better than anyone who is satisfied with a wholesome country living you know ordinary if you want to call it that lifestyle i think that's wonderful simple things should fulfill you but i felt very scrutinized in that town i really felt eccentric like an outsider like i just had a vibe that people didn't like me and any time i tried to participate outside of my small little musical theater circle or wherever, the large majority of the town just looked at me like I was mad and I didn't want to be that way anymore. I just thought, I think a lot of people feel like they haven't found their tribe. So you go to a big city or you leave and then your numbers are better and you're bound to find like-minded friends. Yeah. Yeah, and I do think actually the book has a sense of that kind of big sister Mm. thing because like, that 15, that period, you know, mid-teens, early 20s can be very isolating for a lot of people. So, yeah, the idea that, like, fear not. You don't need to be best friends with the people you were in play school with. You will find your crew. And there is a big old world out there. Get your arse in gear. And you don't have perspective when you're a teenager. First of all, your brain is still growing. I think, you know, the universe does a chemical number on you. And I remember that feeling of, hopelessness and I understand why so many teens start having mental health problems because you know you're just a baby but all of a sudden your brain is firing a mile a minute and everything's so dramatic and you need someone older to say it gets better it's not like this forever you can see your way out of it you just need time and now I know when things go wrong in my life now or things don't go the way I want I just even if I'm grieving. I'm like, okay, well, I just need time and distance from this. And I know now from experience it'll get better soon. Um, so, yeah, I always and speak you, to And you team. have faith in that. Yeah. Yeah. But I think you are insanely resilient. Thanks, Angela. I feel the same about you. <laughs> no, I really am not. No. <laughs> no. Well, you come I off remember, that way. Well, thank you. I don't know if that's fraudulent. But I no, it definitely is. Um, I remember reading... I can't remember where it was. It was like one of those, you know, 60 seconds, quick Mm. fire uh, interviews. It was at a time where I felt completely overwhelmed by just living. And um, you had said, oh, I don't check my uh, diary. I only check my diary the day before. Yeah. And that was your way of of kind of coping with what is, you know, sometimes perceived to be quite a, a wild life. Or, you know, at least an unpredictable, you know, there's not much routine there, I imagine. Yeah. And I remember thinking, that's a great idea. Now I'm like, is is it a great idea? <laughs> <laughs> Does it mean that you just like hop in the car and, and go where you're taken? But like, you could also be working every day for six months and nobody has flagged it because you haven't looked far ahead. Well, 
I mean, it depends on what type of personality you are. I have a general idea of what's going on. So I know that my tour starts soon and I know, um, oh, I don't know when I next have a day off. I kind of don't know, but I'm sure I have one. But I think I would be overwhelmed if I started thinking about unfinished projects that I have or deadlines that I need to hit. This is why I'm a nightmare for my publisher even. I was like, yeah, yeah, you'll get that. And she was like, will I? And then the... I delivered the book three hours before my son was born. So I was like, yeah, I said you'd get it. Um, But yeah, I just look at my diary maybe one or two days ahead. And I feel like that's a bite-sized amount of information that my brain can process without feeling stressed out. And it works for me. I don't feel stressed out for the most part. I mean, currently I have newborn and long COVID and uh, I'm in Birmingham every weekend and working, but it's okay. Okay. Yeah. But you're, you're hanging in there. Yeah, because I couldn't tell you. I think tomorrow I'm on Lorraine and that's all I know. Okay, great. So like there's not that much to get stressed about. You're like, cool, yeah. Lorraine, we can have a chat. Yeah. Um, okay, well, look, you're on Lorraine tomorrow, but today, what are you I'm thankful for? Angela Scanlon. Exactly. I am thankful for the health of my children. Um, I had a mantra when I was expecting Violet uh, 13 years ago when I was only 10 years old. And I would say happy, healthy, strong, smart, and beautiful. And I thought very carefully about the qualities I wanted her to have. And I would repeat those words if I felt unsafe. Because I had this idea that someone was going to like push me onto the train tracks or grab me. You know, different pregnant people have different fears. fears. I just felt like someone was going to steal the baby. I'd watch too many crime programs. Um, So anytime I felt scared or sad or unsafe, I would say happy, healthy, strong, smart, and beautiful. And that's what I wanted her to be in that order. I put happy above healthy because I feel like if you haven't got mental wellness, then you don't have physical wellness. Mm -hmm. And then smart, strong, beautiful, or strong, smart, beautiful. I I wanted those things. But I mean, happy and healthy is number one for me. And I know, I mean, now I'm in my late 30s. I know people who don't have those very fundamental privileges of knowing your children are safe and well and that's really what I'm always grateful for yeah and having met Violet a couple of times she's quite an exceptional kid isn't she Mm -hmm. yeah she's the best she has like no dramas so far yeah how how did you manage that I've got a daughter I'm like quite hopeful that I might replicate some of the things that you did well your daughter's fun your daughter is yeah, like... She's also three. She's, You've gotten through some tougher years, you know? I haven't. Violet was never three. I mean, she did have friends. Violet's best friend, Matilda, was a very vocal, very precocious, spiky tantrum sometimes having three-year-old. And I would look at that child and think, oh my gosh, well, at least if she does anything naughty when she's older, it will have been her idea. And I think that's very good. Whereas Violet, if, God forbid, she gets into any trouble when she's older, I'm not sure it will have been her idea. I think she's very amenable because she was raised with my, you know, a personality like mine as her mother. So Violet goes along and she's cool and she's calm. But I do worry that someone's going to be like, hey, let's go smoke behind the bins. And she'll be like, all right. And she'll, you know, they'll go, let's steal that car. And she'll go, well, all right. I don't want to cause any problems. You know, you want a girl who's <laughs> knows her own mind and is a little bit naughty when she's three. Yeah. Okay. But I, f- I feel like there's a, a spine there. There's a center there that yeah. I wouldn't be, you know, very worried about. And, and probably a resilience because she was on the road with you from early days, wasn't she? 
Yeah, I worry about my children because Fred is newborn and he has mm. only known the sweet life. And Violet, um, we lived in this teeny tiny one bedroom flat and I really struggled. I mean, I was counting every penny that came into the house. I think when you're poor, that's when you are a forensic accountant. I knew everything yep. that was going on. I was very uh, high stressed and we had no family here. Um, and I brought her on tour with me. She was on trains and night buses, no routine. But for that, you're right, she's very resilient. And I worry that maybe Fred, maybe we're res- raising Fred too soft. <laughs> you need to chuck him out there. Yeah. Side stage. Um, no, but I love it. I, and I think it was, you know, it felt quite radical. Even I remember hearing, you know, that she was on, on tour and thinking, wow, that's like... It felt hardcore, but yeah. you know, you even as like a young mum had such, I don't know, self-assuredness. But I think we don't have children in our early 20s anymore, which is great because we prioritize career and education and everything else, but I didn't. And I had this ignorance. A lot of people say, well, how are you so self you know, assured and how were you so confident? I was ignorant. I didn't realize that it would be tough to be a newborn. So I booked in gigs and then I had a newborn and I had to go to the gigs or else I wasn't going to be able to pay my rent. So I brought my newborn and I couldn't afford daycare or a nanny. So I just turned up places with this baby strapped to myself and nobody asked me to take it off. And I just did it. And um, I don't have the same confidence or, you know, perceived confidence with Fred. I had to take him on the bus the other day and I thought, ooh, he might he might cry in public you know what will I do but I didn't didn't give a shit when I was 25 yeah 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 there's a kind of freedom in that ignorance slightly yeah and I wasn't spoiled I didn't go for lunches with my girlfriends I didn't have my nails done mm-hmm. my life wasn't good enough to destroy so having a baby was fine <laughs> and then my life just got better once she came along um so and and I just was lucky I had a child who fit with that you know she was really cool and calm and chill yeah yeah and who minded her back when you actually went on was it like whoever was there just keep an eye on her no I was really lucky I always would check that I had really close girlfriends that I knew who were on the bill on the bill so I would have Sarah Pascoe and Roisin a lot would be on bills with me back then we didn't know Ashling yet I don't think she had started and then um Harriet Kemsley used to open for me when I started doing my own tours and I would thoughtfully book support acts who I trusted just to watch Violet backstage while I was on. And she was sleeping by then anyway. I mean, it was, or I'd have a tour manager, but you know, as I got more success, it got easier. But in the beginning, I was on a mixed bill. Mm -hmm. So there were always other comics around. Amazing though. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Amazing Um, that they agreed. Yeah, I feel like they didn't have a choice, which is the beauty of it. It's like, actually, you know, and also you want to be a pretty fucked up human to like be presented with a baby and start complaining. I wasn't doing long sets. So it wasn't as though I was asking them to watch her for an hour. I'd say I'm doing 10 minutes ahead of you or 15 minutes ahead of you. And she was cool. Like she, Everybody wants to have a baby for 15 minutes. I mean, everybody smell the head, have a little snuggle. Yeah. It's the dream. Okay. Is there a thank fuck for this? It's not a thank fuck for this that I have. It really is a thank fuck for this that I don't have. On the subject of children, I dodged some, I mean, we can call them bullets. I did not have children with some of my greatest enemies that I dated. I mean, we talk about 
all sorts of things, family planning and birth control. And there's all this chat about Texas at the minute and everything else. And of course, Ireland for a long time. But having a child with someone cements you to them in some way for the rest of your life. And I'm very lucky that Violet's dad and I get on well enough. You know, she sees him and it's cool. But can you imagine like some of the most tumultuous, some of the most dangerous breakups of your life? Every day I wake up and I go, oh, but I never had kids with him. Oh, thank (laughs) fuck for this. Because it could just be a nightmare. And, And I know so many people in worse situations than you can even imagine because the thing that they cherish most also belongs to their greatest enemy and they're manipulated with that and they have to navigate that forever in some way and like my advice to people who want to have sex with you know drummers is specifically (laughs) I don't know I say drummers Travis Barker is a drummer and I think he's one of the most wonderful men I'm so excited that he's with Kourtney Kardashian do you I'm so confused by it I mean not that I'm totally against although as an Irish person it is a little bit you know uncomfortable for me to to witness um public displays of affection but like the level of tonguing is just feels a little like I'm not sure she's fully down with it now. The level of tonguing, uh, and I'm sure the listeners of your podcast will know exactly what we're talking about. These two are naked in Italy. They're making out here and there. They had their tongues on some red carpet, some fashion red carpet out. Like it was. Mm, Properly. It was. Like tickling tips of their tongues. There's dry humping on a boat. It's quite teenage, the whole thing, which is like lovely. Why not? It's a bit much, but I feel like, number one, she's been influenced by Megan Fox because that's her new BFF. Yeah, fair. And that's how Megan Fox carries on with whatever that musician is that she's dating. Yeah. 21 Jump Street. I don't know his name. (laughs) And uh, I also enjoy that Courtney's in her 40s and behaving like a teenager. Yeah. All the while, J-Lo and Ben Affleck are making out on yachts, behaving like teenagers too. And I think it's time we normalized people finding love in their 40s. I think it's beautiful. Yes. I think it's wonderful. Is it a bit yeah. mom? Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I like Travis. I have spent some time with Travis very briefly in my okay. early 20s, not in a sexy way. Yeah. But I found Did you see t- his tongue? I didn't see his tongue. No. Sadly. He'd broken okay. his leg. He was drumming in a concert in Toronto. Okay. And I think one of my girlfriends had a dalliance uh, with someone in his entourage or security or something. So we were hanging out with Blink-182. And I found him to be, oh, wholesome, kind, generous, calm, Hands always moving, though, always drumming on his legs, but just soft and lovely. And the way he spoke about his children, um, he was wonderful. And I, I think it's time for Courtney to be with a good man. Yes. And she did have three children with Scott Disick. He's charming. They co-parent fine. But my advice is if you yeah. want to date a wrong and that is fine. Be very careful about having children with one because... You know, that's not a scene that can affect, that can impact your whole life. Yeah. Also, I do think sometimes when, you know, I speak to friends of mine who are like, oh, you know, things are a bit shit or he's like kind of a bit of a dick, but I feel maybe if we had a baby, Ah. (gasps) I'm like, no, 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 no. I mean, the most challenging thing of being in a relationship often is introducing a small human. And this, as someone who, you love your husband, I love my husband, 
my husband's brand new. Of course, I love him. Two years, psh, everyone's yeah. in love. But I, <laughs> but I really love him. And even so, you throw a newborn into the mix and a pandemic, and we have been a little bit titchy a couple times. Tetchy, is that the word? Yeah, tetchy. Yeah, if you haven't got such a solid foundation, never, never, never trying to fix your problems by getting married or having a yeah. baby, you will live to regret it. Yeah, it's disastrous. And also, I do think if you've, in, you know, introduced a baby, although I don't know that this was your experience necessarily, but if you're used to being, you know, independent and then suddenly there's a baby, it can feel quite, you know, suffocating, not least because they're sitting on your chest for seven yeah. hours a day. And then if you're, you know, stuck in a relationship that's Ooh. broken or or not like holding you, I would think that is yeah pretty fucking grim actually i've been there i didn't like it it yeah. was one of the greatest challenges of my life and you know violet's dad's not a bad person at all so i felt really terrible ending the relationship too i really definitely needed to end it and it wasn't the right relationship but i felt uh trapped but also very guilty and yeah. also you know it's it's the worst. And that is my thought process. When I was 24, I thought, oh, well, you know, if I haven't broken up with him by now, I never will. Let's have a baby. And it worked out. But I would yeah. caution people to just be quite careful because it could have gone another way with someone else. Oh, Lord. I got. You know, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Okay, is there a thank you next? I mean, I would say I would thank you next. Criticism. Mm. Both, you know, criticism from the public and from publications. <laughs> because I think yeah. um, my stance is that people are entitled to dislike me. It doesn't hurt my feelings. I don't think they're being nasty or out of line necessarily. And I think if you embrace the idea that not everyone has to like you, and it doesn't mean that they're wrong or you're wrong, it's just I don't like everyone. So I'm fine with everyone not liking me. And I received some mixed reviews for The Duchess, which is a sitcom that I wrote uh, for Netflix. Yeah, but there was I one loved it. Oh, thanks. Any you know, consolation. People really liked it or they really didn't, and that is always the way it's going to be with me. Uh, there was a gentleman, ooh, I think, def pretty sure he identifies as a man. Pretty sure. I should check that now. What am I, okay. what am I like? <laughs> you got to check. But I think he's a man. They wrote an article in Variety magazine, which is a big, once influential Hollywood magazine, yeah. about how much they viscerally hated the Duchess. And he broke, they broke the rules of critics where they gave away the entire ending. Oh. They said, I hate it. And then they talked about their own life. And they said, she's a bad person. She did this. She said this. And in my life, that affected me because I adopted a baby. And I hate this. And I hate what she's done. And it's like, whoa. It was a very spicy, very personal <laughs> review. Wow. And I just had to say, well, thank you, next. That's all right. I felt like it was such a bad review that I... It came round full circle. I actually enjoyed it. It was so ridiculous. I but mean, I imagine that came, you know, when you're like, I don't know, 15, 10, 15 years into a career where, you know, as a stand-up, you're getting stuff flung at you a yeah. lot. 
Um, but do you think that level of criticism early on would have would have knocked you, or was there always that kind of fearless disregard, maybe yeah. for other people's opinions of you? I have fine tuned my disregard for other people's opinions of me, <laughs> but I I had many early lessons in it. I was always one to try to create something. Mm. I would try. I would do a dance. I did a dance. Oh God, solo dance for the levers of my year six year I, I thoroughly enjoyed this moment yeah. in the book. I was always doing things like that and they hated it. And even the adults in attendance didn't bop along. They didn't cheer. Everyone was just really uh, perplexed by my dance. And that was uncomfortable. And I was always, you know, putting myself in those types of situations. And I didn't really mind because if you don't create anything – and you just react to what I create, I really don't care what you have to say. If yeah. you, Angela, rang me up and you're like, <clears throat> look, your book, there's this one part in it that I feel is really out of line, I didn't like it, or I didn't, or if some of my good friends that I respect, if they were like, look, you've really fucked up here, you need to apologize, think about what you've done, great. I would totally take that on board. Yeah. But when random people who create nothing have something to say about me, I don't mind. And my mother said from the time I was very young, uh, whenever someone didn't like me. She said, Catherine, if we all like the same thing, we'd all be married to your father. <laughs> it's and I a was good like, line. Yeah, it was helpful. I thought about that all the time. Yeah. yeah, it is a good line. And also just like quite a solid perspective. You're like, yeah. babe, it's, you know, inevitable. Of Not going to be for everybody. Um, do you think that that audience or audiences since who have, as you say, been perplexed by you, but mm. perplexed by your dance. Do you think they're actually complexed by your, you know, the audacity, the confidence that you seem to exude and, and maybe the sense of worth that you, <sighs> you need to stand in front of older kids in your school and be like, lads, I've got a dance for you. You're going to fucking like it yeah. or not because I don't really care. I think... Um, they would, yes, it was the audacity that was perplexing them. Yeah. Um, I don't think they saw the self-worth. I think it seems like attention-seeking to a lot of people um, when you go out on a limb and perform, and sometimes it is, but a lot mm -hmm. of times what I was doing was just for me. Yeah. I just okay. wanted to do it um, because I like to dance. I wanted to do comedy because I like comedians. I like jokes. I like being funny. Um, it's inherently attention-seeking, so you have to have some sense of worth, but – yeah, most of all, it's just it's just audacious. Yeah, for sure. I love it. Yeah. I love it. But like your ownership of that is <laughs> deliciously refreshing. <laughs> yeah. Um, is there a thanks that got away, Catherine? My grandma was definitely someone that I never fully thanked or even acknowledged um, how much uh, she meant to me. And she died when I was around 15, you know, the terrible year that we all had. Yeah. I was shy for a brief period because I got really aggressively awkward looking. My teeth were all over the place. I felt not bigger than the other girls, but just different shaped than the other girls. I'm really pale and just really ugly. My eyebrows were of the time, you know, just I just looked a mess and I felt a mess. I just felt like I wanted to run away from my body and mm -hmm. be someone else. And my grandma was dying, and I wouldn't confront that she was dying. I just thought she was sick. That was fine. And she would ask me to visit her in hospital, and she would ask me 
to speak to her on the phone and say things like, she said, will you say to me, I love you, Dolly Lou? And she was my best friend, by the way. We never called her Dolly Lou. And I was like, why? And she's like, well, that's what my mother called me. And I was like, no. And I would not, I know. Like she was looking to me for comfort as she was dying. And I didn't even realize that she was going to go. I should have. She was in palliative care. But I was a very avoidant teen. And I wanted to avoid everything that was going on. And I wasn't helpful to my mom. And I wasn't helpful to my grandma. I never visited. And then she died. And I was like, oh, shit. And she was, we were so close. I had sleepovers with my grandma when I was young. You know, your mom's mom. You're really close to. And we looked most alike. And everyone said how alike we were. And she would give me Oreos and creamsicles. And we'd watch late night um, Saturday news magazine program 2020 together. And play cards. Yes, she taught me how to play backgammon and gin rummy and all these things and I just let her die without being there for her at all and I would never do that again but it is a lesson in avoidance Mm -hmm. but I feel like she's in my life now I'm very spiritual now and I feel like she's forgiven me but I definitely didn't say thank you in the way that I should have while she was on this earth yeah I have a oddly kind of parallel story to that although I was younger but my granny was called Dolly (gasps) Mine was Dorothy, but her mother called her Dolly. Okay, mine was Cecilia, but everyone called her Dolly. And I remember, I had this really, like, quite... It's, like, slightly haunted me for a very long time. She was a very traditional granny from the west of Ireland, like, you know, tight curls and a blue rinse kind of... And I remember her saying, well, we go up the cul-de-sac, this road, up the road from us. Um, And I was like, no, no, absolutely not. A guy called William Smith lived up there and I was like, no way am I being seen up there with my granny. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I was like afraid of the judgment. I was embarrassed. I was whatever it was. And I kind of, you know, rejected her in that moment. And I kind of convinced myself that, you know, I just, she wouldn't have realized that she would have just thought I didn't want to go for a walk. But I didn't take the opportunity to kind of, you know, hold her hand and enjoy that little moment. Mm. And and then she died. And I think when you're a kid, you just think everyone's going to live forever. And that sense. So you've taken like what feels like quite a lot of blame for letting, you know, letting her die without holding mm. her. You were you were the kid. I think sometimes, you know, you're allowed to make those mistakes as a kid and actually as a giant child. But <laughs> yeah, they stay with you, don't they? They stay with us, but I think our grannies do forgive us, especially in the afterlife, because they get it. And I think that's what you have to remember. You know, they get it. Yeah. And I always say to my daughter, when we see older people, especially, I always, you know, I seem really nice, but I can be like, I really crack the whip. I'm like, you say hello to that woman. And she's like, well, I don't know that woman. I'm like, you say hello to every old person that you see, because every old lady used to be a little girl. And you have to say hello to them. And she's like, okay. So Violet's like the friendliest. And um, yeah, I think my grandma kind of became like a little girl again. And probably yours too. was like, do you want to go and do this thing? And we're like, no. And that feels so shit, but... Yeah, but also I like that lesson, um, that idea that every old woman, like that she used to be a little girl, because I think we can be, as adults, quite out of touch with the little girl versions of ourselves. Yeah. And that's something that has kind of properly come to life since having a daughter. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. 
I was three, technically still am in there. <laughs> in many ways. Somewhere. So yeah, the kind of acknowledgement of those many versions inside, you know, is good. I, I was being such a brat on, an, on a BBC show, All the Glitters, over the weekend. I was really tired yeah. and I didn't want to miss a cue. And they said, just go to your dressing room for a while. I said, no. And we film at the jewelry school in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. I'm such a brat on that show because I don't want anything from anyone. But I don't stay in the hotels that they book. And I don't eat any of the food that they have. And I don't want anything from anyone. But, like, I especially don't want those amenities. And then, (laughs) so I'm such a brat. I'm like, no thanks. And then I was sleeping in the foyer of the Birmingham School of Jewelry under a table. And my makeup artist came. She's like, how are you not fired? Like, what are you doing? And I was napping. I thought I had a little mat and a little blanket. And I just felt like a three-year-old in daycare again, just napping on the floor where loads of traffic pedestrian you know people walking in and out I was like I just need to lay here so I can hear my cue and she's like you need to be fired this is too much (laughs) the big thank you hmm I would say the big thank you is to difference because when you are young all you want to do is be ordinary I wanted to fit in and be like all the other girls i grew up at a very specific late 90s, early noughties time in feminism where all the most famous women were sexy by accident and were, as we now know, under some dodgy conservatorships and virginity was fetishized. And we were just positioned in such an odd way, media-wise. And I would look at these women and I would look at women in my own life and I would think, oh, the best thing that you can be is soft and quiet and subservient and pretty. And I wanted to be all of those things, and I wasn't. I was strange and caustic and angular looking and pale, and I just just never was the type of girl that I thought that you should be. So I had tools, and my tools were comedy and resilience and this fresh worldview, but I would throw those tools away again and again and again. And I would say, no, I don't want those tools, and I would tan myself till I got melanoma and I would have like skin colored hair and hair colored skin and I would try so hard to be Paris Hilton or uh, Jessica Simpson or Britney Spears and I worked at Hooters to try to be taught how to become a nice cheerleader kind of girl and it never worked and I probably spent the better part of a decade trying to fit in but it was my difference both in the way that I approach life and the way that I look kind of cartoony Mm-hmm. Um, that made me successful in the end. And I think, especially when you're a young woman, it's very risky to be different. Yeah. Maybe when you're a young man. I don't know. I've never been a young man, so that's not fair to say. It's risky to be different. <laughs> yeah. And so I would definitely say thank you to my like quirkiness, all my oddities and my difference, because mm-hmm. those are the things that pay my mortgage now. I tried so hard to fix them. I tried to have like bigger soft lips and I almost but didn't get a nose job and I tried to just look soft, but I look like a cartoon and I act strange and that's what works for me. Thank God. Thank God. But was there like somebody who kind of, you know, pointed those things out to you or was that, you know, self-discovery that you were like, actually, maybe I can make this a thing? It, it was largely self-discovery. I mean, my mom was always very encouraging, but it was definitely self-discovery. But then Jimmy Carr in this country in 2012 gave me my first job on 8 Out of 10 Cats. Mm. 
and the phone didn't stop ringing after that and he always said to me like no it's good to look like a cartoon it's good to have three things that audiences remember about you and so for him it would be you know his one-liner uh style and maybe his laugh and laugh, maybe yeah. his like dapperness i don't know and for me they like knowing that like i'm canadian and i'm a single mom and i'm very glamorous or my face is really long or you know rob beckett has the teeth and yes. ramesh has the glasses in the eye and talks about being sri lankan and like we all have these identifiable characteristics that set us apart and they're kind of cartoony and if you're brought up to be you know a woman in this society where you you see again and again reinforced that you should be quiet and kind and soft and pretty then it's really difficult to accept that you kind of just look a bit like a cartoon horse <laughs> i mean i don't see the cartoon horse thing i feel but i do feel like you've leaned in to the yeah, i like it yeah now. like the not a caricature but like there's an amplification yeah. on stage of those things and you know even with like fashion even with the book I'm like fuck it's so the cover of it is so um Drag. but soft in a funny way like yeah. there's a real strength in it but it's like you're literally yeah leaning into all of those things that maybe for a long time you thought should be different or changed right I'm just amplifying all those differences instead of trying to um, soften them and hide them away and on that cover I was 39 weeks pregnant too so I love that they cleverly hide it they're like sit backwards in the chair I'm like this just <laughs> looks like a woman hiding a pregnancy it really doesn't though. doesn't it yeah wow. 39 weeks absolutely but also just like you're there at 39 weeks well where else was I gonna be <laughs> it was a fucking lockdown <laughs> yeah this is true this is true also I listened to your um your birth story uh yeah, quite a, a whirlwind. I liked um, Bobby's contributions. Oh, isn't he cute? Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a nice balanced kind of account and a positive one too. Yeah, it was pretty positive. How was your husband with Ruby's arrival? How do you take that? He was great because I think I remember my midwife saying he was very good. She said, sometimes the partners come in here and it's all about them. They <gasps> want to be very embedded in the story of the, f the family of the three. Whereas Roy knew, OK, this is what's happening over here. <laughs> is, I, I might have had something to do with it, but I need to just step away now. Yeah. Whereas I think her experience had been that many of the men probably center themselves in the female delivery and are like oh look look I'm with you I'm holding you where do you want me to rub you instead of please hide in the fucking corner yeah. and, and leave me alone they feel a bit redundant and they're not quite able to bear that even for the period of a labor well, good welcome to parenthood it's a good lesson in the three months that are coming up <laughs> yeah, yeah, what yeah, are yeah. you good for <laughs> bring me some snacks and I will let you know when she's three and yes. wants to actually be friends with her dad. But for now, yeah. my nipples are falling off. Hang so, your head in shame. Look at what you've done. Mm -hmm. And make my life an easier place. Thank you. Well, you know what's really interesting? I only read about this recently. And it, I think it's quite a helpful thing to learn. Mm -hmm. Essentially, when you become a mother, all of the kind of sacrifice, all of the physical turmoil, emotional, hormonal, everything. Yeah. 
the reality is that that's because of this baby, <laughs> okay? And that there's a lot of anger and there's a lot, like a lot of feelings that mm. can be directed at the baby. But obviously that's not appropriate. Yeah in any level so the partner's job <laughs> is to become a container for those emotions that would otherwise go to a helpless baby Aww. yeah and so when the partner recognizes oh hang on okay rightly or wrongly I've got to become like somewhat of a Punching punch bag, bag yeah. yeah for that period but I just need to not take it personally I think from uh, from a relationship perspective and the maintenance in that like pretty wild period for them to know, hon, it's not about you. You just need to absorb some of this shit so that this poor baby <laughs> yeah. doesn't. I was like, oh, wow, that feels more manageable. Makes sense of a lot of things That's to good me. of you to say because I feel like that could help so many families if they just hear that. Yeah. To really not take it personally. I mean, it's like me with stand-up. I'm like, listen. <laughs> Whatever. Some people are really going to hate this. Um, that's like being a dad. I'm basically a dad. <laughs> You're basically a dad to the nation. Yeah. Um, but also Philippa Perry, who I'm obsessed by. Have you read Me that too. book? Yeah. Oh, um, she talks about how as teenagers, watch this space, that in order for the like human teenager to leave the tribe, i.e. her mother, her parents, she's got to kind of turn on you to be brave enough to fly the nest and so in a similar way that you contain the emotions of a toddler your job as a mom to a teen is to uh like slightly absorb some of the shit that's directed towards you while she gets brave enough to find her tribe who are not going to die before her Ooh, yeah I was like, oh, wow. So, okay. So as the mother of a teenager who's just flinging shit at you, who you feel has turned from your best friend into your worst enemy overnight mm. without anything that you've done, that can feel like deeply upsetting, I think, for, for many parents. And so then, yeah, Philippa's thing is, no, it's like literally part of the evolution. It's like a developmental step. Like you would accept a toddler thrown tantrums at three. You're like, oh, it's just part of the gig. Oh, so you, God. I know. Maybe I'm a really bad mother because I did not accept tantrums and therefore I got no tantrums. Oh, well, she just did it. And then she's not a jerk to me yet, but she's only 12, so maybe that's still to come. Okay. It, yeah. Because, yeah, even my therapist, Pam, was saying, because I was always like, oh, Violet's the best. She never even had tantrums. And Pam said she never had tantrums. I said no. And she said, well, that's weird because that's actually quite important for their central nervous system. And I was like, what? And she was like, yeah, they're meant to have tantrums. And I was like, hmm, dot, dot, dot. And I've just been like dot, dot, dotting that for a decade. <laughs> Ever since. Yeah. Oh, my God. So hang on. Um, they're supposed to have, for their nervous, like it, for the development of their nervous system. It does something to regulate their central ah, nervous system. Like The they, release of those emotions. Yeah. And they push it to the limit and, and then they bring it back and it teaches them how to self-soothe kind of swing and have feelings and and feel safe in having feelings and it does something to their central nervous system that is positive okay. and Pam was very interested in the fact that Violet was always just like yes mommy let's go you know she <laughs> so we'll see watch this space watch, watch for this. Violet's podcast okay <laughs> oh I can't wait for that one
Is there a gift that you are most grateful for? I'm very, I'm deeply anti-gift, Angela. Are you? Yeah, because I feel like adults buying presents for each other is just like exchanging errands and some people <laughs> ask for a list as well at Christmas. I'm like, I would never. Oh, yeah, no. If you're in a shop, you see something, you, it makes you think of me, sure. But, oh, gifts. So what, does this mean that you don't like giving or receiving gifts because it feels like work? I love giving gifts. I okay. really don't like receiving gifts. I wow. really don't. And, um, well, you know what it's like. And now we get gifts. Yeah. From brands. Those aren't gifts. That's, you know, Promotion. a contract. Because you receive it and you didn't ask for it and you didn't want it and you don't know how they got your address. But now you're going to make a series of Instagram posts. <laughs> no such thing as a free lunch. Well, just not to be a dick. You have to do that. There was this yeah. ice cream company that kept sending me ice cream. And I was like, you think, like, how did I get hustled into your buying Instagram posts for a pound, basically, is how much ice yeah, cream costs. Yeah. And I don't, I'm just too, like, I'm too nice. So I always make the posts if I like the brand. Okay. Yeah. Gifts. Jen, our mutual friend, Jen, stylist, she gives yeah. incredible gifts. Gifts that Shh. I actually love and use. Oh, she gave me like a vintage Gucci jumper one time. Just really thoughtful. And you know what Jen also does is wraps gifts really beautifully because she's American. Oh my God. Okay. That's what it is. Also, she, because her daughter is friends with mine. Yeah. And... She, A, somehow remembers when it's Ruby's birthday. I hardly remember. And she, like, they, uh, delivers on time these beautifully, yeah. as you say, beautifully wrapped gifts. But I then feel very inadequate. <laughs> Same. And she's thoughtful. She always nails it. Bobby, she'll get him the best things. I don't even know what to get my own husband. Oh, my God. Um, Violet, she, she, she is the gift giver. What gift have I received, though? Well, could it be a photo? It could be. Okay. Off who? Well, when Bobby and I did our civil partnership in Copenhagen, there are no photos because it was really low key. I wore a beautiful green, kind of the same green that you're wearing. What's that color mm. called? Is it a mint? Mint? Sure. Pea? Pea green. Yeah. It was pea green. I think, yeah. A Valentino oh. tea dress. And I didn't want to wear a wedding dress. I just had that. I wore a beautiful... Victoria Percival headband and then oh. Violet did not want to wear the dress that I packed for her she still was not sure about Bobby so she delivered a sartorial objection in that again didn't have a tantrum she was just like I'm wearing leggings a NASA t-shirt not too different from the one I'm wearing <laughs> did she that's her tantrum yeah socks and sliders <laughs> I love her and I let her, I was like, you, if you feel comfortable wearing that, you can wear that, it's cool. Because I didn't want to oversell the day. Okay. Because she was like, if it's not, you know, a big wedding, then I guess it's fine if I wear this. And I was like, yeah, it is fine if you wear that. So we had brunch and my best friend, Caitlin, that I grew up with, she's featured in the book, The Audacity. Yes. She lives in Finland now, which is not so far from Denmark. She and her husband were our witnesses. So we're in a okay. small community hall. Violet's wearing what she's wearing. I'm there with Bobby and we both look very smart and we're sat in this room and there are no photos other than the lady presiding over the civil partnership said, um, and now let's get to the marriage. And she used the word marriage. Violet had agreed to a civil partnership and all of a sudden someone was using the M word and she looked at me and she went and just gave me like the most shocked <laughs> face. 
and Caitlin's husband took one photo on his phone and then Violet descended into like tears and I wouldn't call it a tantrum. It was just more of like a real uh, oh, EastEnders I moment. I can't believe you've done this yeah. to me. Um, moving all around the room and, and that's the only photo that we have. It's the only one. And it's so beautiful. There's something about the composition of the photo. It looks like a painting. I'll send it to you. It is the most stunning photo. The dress that I wore, I had never been in this community hall before, was all painted. Women around the hall painted wearing the same dress. I'm not even kidding. Stop it. And um, it's just a beautiful image, beautifully lit. There's so much story in it because Violet's face is swinging around to go, what? And it's the only image. And Bobby had it... um, blown up and framed and we have that in the living room and it's such a curious image it's really art it's so beautiful there's something about it it's just my favorite real world possession i love that yeah i love that that's like the thing you save isn't it Mm -hmm. from a burning house also i do think it's quite unusual to have an image that is so full of story now because usually it's like yeah. everybody's poised and ready and you go again if they haven't been captured in the way they would like to. So those kind of candid pictures feel very right. reminiscent of This image or is a mess, but mm. it's the only image that we have and we really love it. Yeah, mm. and brings you right back there. You're like, remember her face years oh, from so now. I really have to send it to you because even if, oh, you're, please do. even if you're not us, like you will appreciate it. It's a really funny photo. Bobby actually, for our two-year anniversary, just put it on his Instagram. Ah, okay, I'll hunt it down. He's a romantic old soul, is he? Oh, he is. Mm, that's good. Um, okay, finally, before I let you go, I know you're a busy woman. Yes. Your hashtag blessed moment. Like, is there a pinch me moment where you were like, shit the bed? Yes. How did this happen? Yes. So when I first moved to this country, I had Canadian dollars, which are valued at half the British pound. Oh, no. And they certainly were then. And when we arrived, we were foreign, obviously, and every landlord wanted six months rent because, you know, we were flight risk and we didn't really have regular work yet. So every penny that I had went into the deposit for this teeny tiny studio flat up all these steps in um, Holloway. And it was grim. And I thought, what? How does anyone own property here? How does anyone get ahead in London and I would always run out of money by the end of the month even after I got an office job and I would be looking for money in the couch just even to take the bus and I thought what how do you do it and so I will always have an appreciation even with a full-time job in London I was struggling a lot Mm -hmm. and then in 2016 yes because it was on the day the Brexit vote was announced uh the result Violet and I bought a flat a church conversion in Crouch End and purchasing my first property, but also the fact that I'd done it all by myself. And in London, I never, ever believed that I would see that day. And for the first time, I felt very... Because when you're freelance, you're always moving. You're moving forward just to stand still. And it was the first time that I actually felt like I had achieved something tangible and it felt like a real moment of safety and of success. Amazing. Yeah. And roots, you're like, roots. we're planted here for a bit. Exactly. Congratulations. Yeah. 
Thank you. It's still quite a big deal to own a house in London. It was a flat, Angela. <laughs> it was a flat. It was a converted church, Catherine. It sounds fantastic. Well, look, thank you so much for thank chatting you. to me. I love the book. I love you. Keep doing what you're doing. And um, yeah, thanks a million. It's always good to see you. And you look fab. Massive, massive thank you to Catherine Ryan. She is just so unapologetically herself and I absolutely love that. Catherine's book, The Audacity, with one of the most staggeringly beautiful covers I've ever seen, is out now. There is a link in the bio below and it is really, really brilliant. You can also watch The Duchess on Netflix and follow Catherine on Instagram and Twitter at Catherine. Bum. So that is it. Series four kicked off with Joe Brand. You've heard from Alex Jones and her Shady X, which was very surprising. Alicia Dixon, Roz Purcell. We went personal with Purcell. Joel Domit, Ruby Wax, offering sage and solid advice to us all. Emma Dabry, Catherine Gray and the happy pairs, plural. Make sure you subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts so that you'll be notified immediately when I am back for series five. I'm already cooking it in my head. It's not happening. I need to lie down. You can also listen back to our Thanks That Got Away mini pods, your letters about the thanks that you never got to give. I have absolutely loved getting an insight into your world and they've been really moving in parts. So do feel free to continue sharing them. I can share them with you next series. And please... Do not forget to write us a review. I know it's pathetic, I'm groveling, but it really, really, really does help. On Apple, don't bother your arse trying to do them anywhere else because they don't have them. And share, share the series with your friends, with your enemies, I don't really care. And if you're going to miss me, well, don't. Just go and subscribe to my newsletter instead. There's a click in the link below or a link in the show notes below. Something, something. Anyway, it arrives in your inbox every Sunday. A little dose of whatever I'm mulling over. Things I love. A little bit of food for thought. Thank you to my brilliant producer, Louise Mason at Rethink Audio. And most of all, thank you to you, the listeners, for, you know, listening. (laughs) See you next series.